Hey there, where have you been? Welcome to the No Jet Stress podcast, the show that helps you maintain optimal health and peak performance as a road warrior, no matter how much you travel. I'm your host, Christopher Babiodi, traveler wellness advocate, nutritional therapist, author, and ex-flight attendant of 20 years at British Airways, one of the UK's largest airlines. Welcome back to the No Jet Stress podcast. And today's guest is Andy Kearns, who is the co-founder of Ravel. And we're going to be talking about all things mental health and social as it pertains to business travel. Andy, it's a real pleasure and a long time in the making. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. So I think this is an exciting time for Ravel at the moment and listeners we will get into exactly what Ravel is about later on in this in this episode but also I think it comes with a bit of a personal story on your behalf so in your own words can I ask you to introduce yourself to our audience and I will put the footnote that if if Andy sounds a bit subdued it subdued even it's because it's three o'clock in the morning and he's in Vegas so let's bear that in mind and cut him some slack go ahead (laughs) thanks very much so yeah I'm Andy Cairns co-founder of Ravel 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 kind of came about because for about 25 years, I was a management consultant. I worked for some really big organisations who sent me all over the world. And because of that, I spent a lot of time alone in hotel rooms. So once the meetings or the workshops were finished, sometimes I'd go out for dinner with the clients. Sometimes I would go back to the hotel on my own. And it was kind of a, a lonely existence. Life on the road, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't change any of it. I, I really enjoyed my, my days as a road warrior but it probably wasn't great for my mental health. So I I used to sit in these hotel rooms thinking, you know, there must be other people in exactly the same position as me in in the same town, possibly even in the same hotel. They just want to get out and and meet people. And rather than sit and watch television and have the terrible room service burger, go out and have conversations and possibly, you know, create new partnerships, work with each other. And there just wasn't really... a way to find out who these other people were. I tried LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is really good when you want to find people who live in a certain place. But when people already live there, they tend to have their own things going on and might not have the time to come out and have a, a, drink, a drink or a coffee. So I, I basically created Ravel to scratch my own itch. So Ravel is essentially a social network that helps business travellers connect with other humans while they're on the road. And we do that by having a profile for our members with your interests and, and you know what you do for a living. And then when you put in your trip details, so let's say I'm going to be in Las Vegas from Monday to Friday, um, it will then match me up with other business travellers who are going to be in the same place at the same time, hopefully with the same interests. Great, great. Okay, so you've touched on a couple of things there in summary, which is great. But I want to try and dig a bit deeper in terms of this road warrior lifestyle culture. I'm going to try and put you on the spot here and ask you specifically, okay. is it healthy or unhealthy? I think it's both. I think it's healthy in that we have this amazing life of meeting people 
from different cultures, different backgrounds. We do, as much as people complain about, oh, all you see is the inside of a meeting room, if you plan it right, you do actually get to see new places. Okay, those new places, you know, it might be Manhattan or it might be an industrial estate in Germany. You know, it's that's the, the luck of the draw. But we do get to experience new things. So I think that that is very good for us. You know, it helps expand your mind. It helps you think of things in new ways. But then the flip side of that is, we tend to be unhealthy when we're on the road. We we grab the first piece of food we can find, whether it's the healthiest option or not. Usually in my case, not. We we tend to shut ourselves away. Um, so, you know, as I said, after the meetings are finished, it's normal just to go back to the hotel room and, and not connect with anyone. That, that can be really lonely and, and detrimental to mental health. Or we, we work too much you know you don't have the things that you need to do at home you don't have the the laundry you don't have the social interactions to, to distract you so what you tend to end up doing is working until you fall asleep yeah and that's not good for anyone it's, it's yeah. good for the manager probably um, <laughs> but in the long term it's, it's not good for us so i think it's it's a mixed bag but in order for the unhealthy stuff not to take over you need to take action if you just let being a road warrior happen I think that is an unhealthy lifestyle. And that kind of like brings me on to the second part of that is, I guess Ravel in a sense is partly out there also to help people address this idea. I mean, it's not, it's not that it hasn't been around before. It's just that so many, so few people have spoken about it before this idea of work-life balance as well as the idea of leisure travel which some people particularly hate, but it's the idea of being able to, right, you're one of those. Okay, oh. you're one of those. <laughs> <laughs> let me, um, the let idea... me just clarify, I don't mind the concept. I think it's great that, you know, while you're on a business trip, you add in more things just for you personally. I just hate the word pleasure. For <laughs> Fair enough. Work-life balance, We, sh I shall try and stick to <laughs> when I <laughs> reference it in this conversation. But I with the pandemic and people reassessing priorities in life, I think that's come more into play. And therefore, that makes this a particularly good time, I would suggest, to be you know, looking for that itch that people want to use, that, want, that people want to scratch, using something like Ravel. So is there a, is there a particular type of business traveler that you are looking to or is it is is it pretty much i know i know they say if you want to solve a solution one you can make it so personal as you have yourself yeah. and it's an itch that you've experienced yourself but is there a, a particular type of traveler you think this will appeal to i looking down the 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 profiles that we've got in there at the moment we really have a mixed bag I was kind of expecting people to join up who were probably at the more towards the beginning of their career. Um, Interesting. You know, the, the, the rest of us kind of get a bit cynical and actually really enjoy a night in the hotel. <laughs> Can I ask why you thought it would be that demographic that would be particularly interested? I think it was it was just an assumption that I had made. 
I think most of my business travel was was when I was younger, and that's when I felt the the loneliness the most. Right. Um, because I had a really good social life at home, and then when I was going on a business trip, and and sometimes you know my my projects could last up to eighteen months, so I would be, you know, flying out from Heathrow at, on a Monday morning at half past six, going to somewhere like Amsterdam and then getting the train up to The Hague and coming back on a Thursday night. And while my friends were out having dinner with each other during the week, I couldn't join them. So I I really felt that then. Whereas now that I'm a bit older, you know, as I said, a night in a hotel away from the children is actually quite (laughs) well sometimes. Not all the time, but, you know, sometimes. Um, And I think we kind of grow accustomed to it. So we're, we're more able to handle it. Um, or maybe just the damage has been done and we're used to it. <laughs> but yeah, just assumed because because a lot of it is to do with socialising. We want to connect people in a, a social way. And that just in my mind always makes me think of younger people, people younger than okay, me. Interesting, because at the same time, I've seen certain type of research that suggests that the younger demographic are in actual fact more more in search of that work-life balance than perhaps people who are more seasoned travellers. And I think it also speaks to the idea that these seasoned travellers pretty much get into a routine that they're comfortable enough with. And therefore, as you said, the damage is done, I guess. And therefore, you know, what else? There's definitely danger in that comfort, isn't there? Because it's, you know, it's it's a habit, and okay, it's it's great. I, I find it really funny. I'm really disorganised at home. My my wife will absolutely attest to that. But when I go on a business trip, I pack really efficiently. As soon as I get into the the hotel, I've got my my routine that I you know unpack and put things away. I don't leave things lying on the floor like I do at home. I have things set up in exactly the right way. So yeah, you you get into these these rituals and, and habits when you're travelling. Not all of them are going to be healthy, though. Yeah. So that habit of coming back to the hotel room and opening your book or coming back to the hotel room and opening your laptop instead of seeking out other people to connect with, I don't think is healthy if you're doing it all the time. I hear you. So moderation in all things, I guess, is a way to go, I guess. Or that's what some say. Some say there's no such thing as moderation, but I think everyone has to choose their own style. Yeah. So, you know, as a as a having been a consultant for so long, what are the lifestyle factors do you think people who are considering that type of work, whether it be the consultancy side or the traveling consultancy side, that are most effective in helping one maintain a sense of health yeah i think that that's a, a really good question actually i i don't think i'm the best person to answer that you I know mean, I'll, I'll give it a go but i i had a very unhealthy life on the road now what what i would say is if if anyone's thinking about that as a career remember that your your working hours are still your working hours while you're on the road or not. So it's very easy to fall into this trap of I'm I'm away on a project, possibly with a team of my colleagues, 
So I'm in work mode from the minute I leave my house um, and go to the airport to the minute I get back from the airport. When actually we really need to remember that you're still you're still working and there's a an end time to your working day. Now what you choose to do with that downtime is is really the, the crux of this conversation, isn't it? It's yeah. very easy to and I've I've had projects this like this myself where, you know, even if people are technically clocking off at five o'clock or whenever it is, they're then going to the pub with those same workmates and talking about work into the night, or they're going for dinner with those workmates, or they're taking their laptop back to the hotel and continuing the the work. I think it's really, really important to remember that, okay, some nights you are going to do that at home and some nights you should do that on the road as well, but don't make that the norm. Um, Which brings up a very, very interesting question, because right about now, I've been having a conversation with an acquaintance who is basically doing his PhD thesis. And part of the conversation is some of the legislature, I should say, around the right to switch off, which apparently exists more in other European countries. And it sounds like there's a push for it to... It's to be championed in the UK, at least. But my um, my contention is that if you have a culture that supports that, then it's more likely that it will take root and grow. The culture pre the culture existed before legislation came into place. So, is it a fertile ground for people to actually really understand that embed? embed it and and make use of it for what it's worth yeah i'm i've got to admit i'm a bit cynical about any kind of legislation that that proposes to fix this is, I, it, is that because it's a, a human being led and we're human at the end of the day or yeah absolutely and you know how are they going to police it you know are, are they going to measure how people switch off at night i i I don't understand how that can happen, but you know, um, it, it's it's on us, and I think this is especially difficult for people closer to the beginning of their career. Um, it, it used to be, especially in the city, you know, that there was this culture of you know you had to wait until your boss left before you could leave the office at night, and a bit of you know, probably toxic masculinity and hustle culture and and all of that sort of stuff i think if you're working with the the big city firms now they're really clamping down on that um hr are winning the battle against these toxic managers that expect people to be available 24 hours a day Uh, that's certainly what i'm seeing i'm sure there might be someone listening who's in the thick of it and and you know hearing it from the other side but you know I'm, I'm seeing definitely from you know the big four consultancies from big finance companies oil and gas that they they have programs in place to change the culture of their organization so that people feel they can switch off and that's why i think i, I don't I'm not sure legislation is going to do something about sure. something that's already underway and you're you're absolutely right. It's the it's the culture. It's the corporate culture. But I think most importantly, it's the personal culture as well. Yeah, and work we ethic. We need to take ownership of it. We yeah. can't blame the companies if we are working too much. And of course, you know there are times where you could blame certain managers for pushing too hard. 
But as I said, I think that's that's changing nowadays. But we need to take ownership of this ourselves. Okay. You know, and, you know have have something else to do with your time. Make yeah. something else to do with your time. Have a life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a bit tongue in cheek there, but yeah, we know what we what we mean in that respect. Absolutely. And that kind of like links nicely to the conversation about mental health in the workplace. And I'm sure it's not lost on you that in the UK now, from the 15th of May to the 21st of May, it's the uh, Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah. And I, I've had guests on the show before who've talked about their perspective on mental health and things that they see. And one of the things that struck me quite specifically was it seems to me, I could be wrong, it seems to me that the mental health conversation is mainly being had by women in the workplace. I don't see a lot of male role models talking about mental health, or is it that they're talking about it in a different way? I see the toxic masculinity effects bleeding into mental health and stuff of that nature, but I don't really see that many male role models or should I even go that step further and say men who are vulnerable enough to to show that side of themselves in the workplace so they could stand as role models and other people can feel secure enough to talk about what's going on for them? What do you see? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you here, I'm afraid. I, I see the opposite. I see a lot of men. Um, talking up you need to introduce me to them (laughs) so i mean this time last year three of us got together and put together a a week of mental health linkedin sessions and webinars and all right i definitely missed that Um, but yeah please myself um rianne fanshur and daniel hayward and we had guests on and it was all about mental health in the travel industry can and you take us a bit deeper into some of those conversations for the benefit of your yeah, as much as anything and um, myself? I'm sure Daniel or possibly Rian set up a website, so all the sessions will be archived somewhere. Cool. So I'll send you the link. But essentially, we 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 took different areas of the the travel industry and the impact of uh, mental health. Invited some guests to to talk about their experiences, men and women, and and just got people to be a bit more open about their experiences. I think in in the travel industry, especially, there are there are definitely some men doing really good work on raising awareness of mental health issues and running workshops and and sessions to to fix it. So would that be like people, and I guess, um, would that be people uh, on the UK stage that would be identifiable? Or are you talking about sort of like globally that would be identifiable? So UK for me, so Matthew Holman, for example, is a fantastic mental health advocate. I think even outside the travel industry, I'm in my feed on LinkedIn, I'm seeing a lot of men talking more about mental health. So I'm involved in a lot of startup founder communities. And that's a really stressful environment. And there are a, a few people, and I think mainly men actually, that that talk about it, talk about their own struggles with it, encourage people to talk about what they're going through. 
and we we help each other out. I think again going back to the big four, I'm definitely seeing more men involved in the conversation, doing webinars, posting on LinkedIn, and I think it's it's. I'm in two minds actually. I think it's really important that we talk about this. I also think it's really important that we don't oversaturate the conversation about it. You know, I've seen people, yeah, where it, it just it ends up consuming their entire content output. And for me, that I suppose encourages people to switch off about it or not not take it too yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. There's good work being done, but I don't know, is it about less talk and more action that then becomes the driver as opposed to let's just talk about it and bring it yeah i i kind of like the idea of there being a week where people can can throw a bit of focus on it you know there's going to be a lot of people really helped out by these weeks because there's a lot of information out there because the you know they're, they're bringing the awareness to the surface and there's going to be you know hundreds possibly thousands of people who are just having a particularly bad week that week and weren't aware of the resources that are available to to help people out. So even if just for them, I think it's worth doing for it. What what I really hope though is that once we've raised the awareness during this week, that people stay aware. And of course there's going to be a big drop off and people are going to roll their eyes and they're going to forget and they're going to be cynical and that's absolutely fine. But if we can you know, just make it so that, I don't know, people remember that there are places that they can go to for help after the week has finished, or maybe remember that your co-worker might just need you to ask how you're getting on and, and actually wait for a proper answer. You know, th- those kind of things, those those kind of small things, I think if, if more people come out of this week with those kind of questions under their belt, then I think it's, it's a good thing. Okay. So that's kind of like heading into the idea of support. And I'm a firm believer that we can have professional types of support and then non-professional types of support. And I, I believe that the mix of both is um, ideal. Harkening back to my time at British Airways, you know, wherever you were around the world, you could pick up a phone and speak to a Samaritan type of service that would be able to offer you some support, which is great. Now, not everyone listening to this may be a you know a big four or, or whatever company that is able to have that kind of resource and therefore that's why i think the mix of knowing where your support channels lie and and when you can access them is useful do you have any i mean you, you've just kind of pretty much talked about colleagues and 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 and, and, and you know some maybe mentors within the workplace are there any other suggestions that you have in terms of kinds of support that people can avail themselves of outside the professional ones. Yeah, absolutely. So the, there are a few organisations. My, of course, now that we're talking about it, my mind has completely gone blank, and I can't remember the names of them. I will send you after the the call some of those resources. There are definitely people that you can call. There are definitely websites you can visit if you don't. I, I think a, a lot of the in the past. 
mental health help has always been either around phone calls, phoning an organisation like the Samaritans, or talking to someone face to face. And there's a massive portion of the population, and I'm one of them, who don't really like phone calls or face to face. You know, we have the, the text generation, I suppose. So I would, I would much prefer to go on a website and either text chat or read information about it. And there's a lot more of that, thankfully, nowadays. So I, I think, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. It, it's really crucial that there's a an internal um, support framework. So your family, your friends, and, and people, and possibly even in your office that you can talk to. And then the, the external support network, which is, you know, professionals, people who really know what they're talking about. Not me, obviously, I'm not a, a mental health professional. Um, but you add but, quality you know, from your experience as well, which is valid as much as anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the, there are a range of people, whether you have access to public health care, you know, doctors and occupational therapists and people are, are there to guide you or, you know, you can you can pay for it or there are some voluntary organisations as well. Okay. So my, just one more question around this topic and then we can move on to more Ravel stuff. So my yeah. hallucination, if you like, is that because we are so much more insular in times of walking down the street, staring into a phone, being siloed into the kinds of information that we get, that this is all not necessarily playing well to our ability to maintain balance and health, whether it be in any uh, theatre of performance you want, including mental health. Now, I know you are the doyen of solutions and you will have the correct answer for me, but what do you think, <laughs> what do you think is the solution to this worldwide pandemic of attention deficit? that we all suffer from in terms of how we might want to fathom a solution that can help us better with our mental health. Do you have any specific tips or things you've stolen from someone else that are useful? So th this is something that I really, really struggle with. So I, I'm actually going through the process of trying to get a, a proper diagnosis for attention deficit. I, oh, I sorry, and I didn't kind of like mean it in that specific. Even though I yeah. said attention deficit, but fair enough. Thank you. Yeah, for sharing I think I, I, I think I, I was reading something the other day that bringing the you know the official ADHD definition and you know general attention deficit that you're talking about together. I was reading that the, there's a a surge in in people that are being diagnosed with ADHD. And I think that is, is one of these things where, you know, did you ever see that that chat about how many left-handed people there are in the population? And if you go up to, you know, like 1650, it's very low. And then after 1650, it goes up to the, the level it is today. Yeah. And the reason for that is not that there was more left-handed people born, but around the 1650s, you stopped being punished for being left-handed. Um, so people were, were able to admit it more. And I think what's what's come out of the, the last couple of years is when people are more open about their mental health issues and when there are more resources available that you can read and, I suppose, self-diagnose, 
more people are admitting to having these issues. So I think in general, more people are admitting that they can't quite focus on things that, you know, they're no longer able to read a book back to cover to cover, you know, the way they used to. Yeah. I don't think necessarily it's a new thing. I think there are just more people talking about it. Now, as for the, the magic bullet, I'm really sorry, but, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, it takes hard work. And I think, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, the routines and the habits. One of the reasons I have my travel routine is because I I need that just to, to stick a, a pin in the ground right. to say, oh, I'm, I'm on a business trip now. I can't just go into the hotel and lay down in the bed because I won't, I won't get back up again. I can't just leave my stuff all over the floor because I'm going to have to pack my suitcase at the, the end of the time and I'll be rushing about and I won't be able to cope with it. So having having routines for everything, I think, helps focus your attention or at least it does with me, and that doesn't come easy, unfortunately, right. um, as a solution. <laughs> Fair enough. But I think that's a key in itself, in as much as the habits and routines, perhaps a starting point to corral the attention and these other habits that we have that we may find useful in certain situations, but, but not in others. So I think there's value in that, and I'm quite appreciative of that okay so you know that's that's definitely the mental health piece i think we're going to go through more in depth about ravel you can tell us about the exciting things that are happening in terms of ravel and then maybe give us a sneak peek into the how how it's coming along i know there's a beta you've launched a, a, a beta yes. and then how that social aspect of it plays into to Ravel, as well as the specifics of what's going on in Vegas right now, where you are. You know, you know I can't tell you that. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so stick with us and we'll, we'll, we'll be back shortly with some more interesting news, views on travellers, ravelers, dare I say that word? <laughs> Mental health and social with Andy Kearns.